TikTok is scanning its users' ages. Linus Tech Tips has been hacked. Lots of Go Anywhere data breaches. Tons of Windows 11 stories and a lot more. Welcome to Surveillance Support 127, everybody, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I am Henry from TechLore. I am Nathan from The New Oil. Promo segment this week is exactly the same as it is every week, which is Patreon. Go support us on Patreon. This is all free to you, and we have amazing Patreon supporters that keep this podcast going back here entirely for free so we can upload all this stuff to you every single week. So we really appreciate all of our patrons, and you also get some exclusive perks if you join that, like you get to join our Q&A, which we post every week at the end of these episodes, and also you get access to VIP shows where we remove these promo segments automatically and we include more of our rants and extra discussions. If you don't want to use Patreon for whatever reason, be it for privacy or you don't want to enter Patreon because you don't like them, uh, we do support LibrePay if you want to do recurring subscriptions, but there are no benefits involved with that. And if you want to avoid all of these centralized entities in any capacity, uh, we do support Monero as well. So you can directly support us via Monero. We don't see anything about you, uh, but we do see your support and we do see that we receive some support from random anonymous people on the internet. So we thank each of you who supports this podcast via that method as well. That's it for the week, and now let's get into the highlight story. Okay, our highlight story comes from TikTok. The headline says, TikTok CEO company scans public videos to determine users' ages. And real quick, so this comes from the TikTok hearing that's going on. For those of you who somehow have not heard about this, right now TikTok is... Uh, being grilled by the U.S. Congress. In my opinion, I'm sure this is not a hot take. It's a lot of moral panic over like, oh, TikTok's so bad for privacy and national security and all this. And meanwhile, Facebook and Amazon and Apple all do the exact same stuff and Google all do the exact same stuff. But we're zeroing in on TikTok because China. That said, we might give like a more actual analysis of the hearing, but it's not over yet. There's at least one more next week that I'm aware of. There might be even more after that. So we're not talking about that right now, we're, but we are focusing on some of the stories that have come out from this. And one of the biggest ones that directly concerns privacy is this scanning of videos. So I'm going to quote the article here. Amid questioning about TikTok's use of biometrics in today's congressional hearing, TikTok CEO Xiaozi uh, Chu, probably screwed that up, offered some insight into how the company vets potentially underage users on its platform. After denying the app's, app collects body face or voice data to identify its users beyond what's needed for its in-app AR filters to function, that is, the executive was asked how TikTok determines the age of its users. Chu's initial answer was expected. The app uses age gating. This refers to the commonly used method of asking the user to provide their birth date. In TikTok, there are different experiences for under 13, blah, blah, blah. The article goes on to say, as it turns out, TikTok is doing more than looking at the user's age that's entered into the text box. In the hearing, Chu added that TikTok used uh, TikTok scans users' videos to determine their age. And quoting Chu, he says, we have also developed some tools where we look at their public profile to go through the videos that they post to see whether, and then the congressman cut him off and the article continues from there. I think for more veteran listeners, this is probably not new. I think we have actually covered stories in the past about how TikTok does say in their terms of service that they will use the videos you upload to collect biometric data. So um, this is like the second video I've seen, or well, this is a post, but this is the second time I've heard from these hearings where I'm 99% sure he just straight up lied to Congress. I mean, there you have it straight from the horse's mouth. They they examine videos to try and determine age. I think that's kind of iffy. Um, I'm sure we've all seen people who do not look their age, whether they look way older or way younger. So that's probably not a very reliable way of doing things. And of course, there's obvious privacy concerns with that. Although not to victim blame, I think anything you put on TikTok, you should kind of expect is going to be abused privacy wise. So I don't know. You have any thoughts on this? 
Not really. I think, like you said, for veteran listeners, they're going to be like, yeah, well, no, duh. But maybe for constant TikTok users, they might have not been aware that, oh, wow, I didn't quite realize that TikTok was quite literally scanning every person that was being uploaded to it. And we don't really know to what extent they're using that data. Do they just check the age and then delete the data and not check it again until you upload your next video? I doubt that. And the reality is we don't really know internally everything they're using this biometric data for, how it's stored, how it's shared with third parties, what happens if TikTok actually gets... You know, what what happens if there's um, some kind of business transfer and TikTok becomes some other entity? Like, do more people get this data? There's just such a lack of oversight and a lack of transparency behind this, which is why we need federal privacy regulation so that this kind of stuff just naturally takes care of itself. And so that like companies like Facebook, Google, Apple, and all these other crappy companies also have to follow the rules, too. Because really, the only reason we're targeting TikTok is because it's Chinese, as you said. So, yeah, yeah that's all I have to add. I do want to add one more thought onto that. Like you said, I think I really feel strongly a lot of people tend to like victim blame and privacy gatekeep. And, you know, like, oh, you're dumb if you use TikTok. Why do why does anyone even use this platform? It's so stupid. And for the record, I'm not a big TikTok user, but my wife regularly shows me videos that I'm like, all right, that was actually pretty funny. Like, I I do see why some people use these platforms. Does that not mean that 90% of the videos are probably stupid and brain meltingly dumb? Yes, probably. But there's a few gems in there. I, I get it. And... For a lot of people, I really don't think they're using it because they don't care about their privacy. I think they genuinely don't know how bad it is. That's something I personally saw with Cambridge Analytica is a lot of the time when I would talk to friends and family about like, hey, did you hear this came out and this was discovered? And 99% of the time they were like, oh, no, I didn't know that. So I really don't think most people are using it because they don't care about their privacy. I think most people are using it because they get something out of it and they don't realize how bad the privacy invasion is. I mean, like I said, I've already, at least twice, I'm convinced that this dude's lying. So we're probably not going to get everything out of this hearing, but I think we are going to get enough things that we can be like, look, this came straight from the CEO, straight from the horse's mouth. So this is kind of useful stuff to share with people, you know, who use TikTok to try and show them how bad it really is. Yeah, and referring to the gatekeepers, I don't know how you can acknowledge these two things. How can you acknowledge that TikTok is privacy invasive, addictive, designed to keep you on the platform, designed to really like abuse human human biology to keep people on the platform as long as possible and then you also tell people because of that you're stupid for using it you idiot get off the platform why do you use tiktok like you're literally just not helping anyone by doing that so if you're on reddit especially and you like like people are like how do i use reddit or how do i use tiktok more privately and then someone's in the comments going why do you use tiktok lol and it's like dude no help Yeah, they're probably the same kind of people who, like, blame drug addicts. Like, oh, just stop taking drugs. Like, that's so easy. Yeah, you idiot. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, to their defense, like, there is a fine line. Like, obviously, when somebody's like, how do I use TikTok more privately? I don't think there's some, anything wrong with acknowledging, well, to be fair, you can't use it totally privately. But here are some things you can do to mitigate it a little bit. Right. It also just, I, I feel like it creates such an unwelcoming environment. You know, if you're sitting out there, like, why would I go to a place where as soon as I get there, everybody's just going to be like, oh, you used to do that thing? You're a freaking idiot. You're a moron. Why would I feel welcome there? Reddit privacy communities. <laughs> yeah. And like, again, there's nothing wrong with admitting like TikTok is bad. TikTok is not private. But don't make fun of the people because they probably don't know any better. And once they start realizing it and they're like, oh, maybe I should learn more about this. Maybe I should dig into this. Oh, here's 20 videos calling me the stupidest per- person on earth because I didn't know any better. Like we don't send kids to school and then go like, you don't know the alphabet, you freaking dumbass. Like <laughs> we don't do that. 
yeah, it just it does not create a welcoming environment for people who are like researching this stuff and trying to get out of there. All right, let's go ahead and move to data breaches. We're going to start with a really quick one. The car company Ferrari has disclosed a data breach after receiving a ransom demand. The information stolen includes names, addresses, email addresses, and phone numbers. They did not say how many customers were affected. Our next story comes from Kids Tech Camp ID Tech, who is still silent weeks after a data breach. So ID Tech provides coding courses for kids, and they have not acknowledged a breach or notified parents. News first broke in February after a cybercriminal claimed to have data for sale on the forum, including over 1 million records like names, date of birth, passwords stored in plain text. No wonder they're staying quiet and 415,000 unique email addresses. Families found out because they started getting notifications from places like Have I Been Pwned or places like Firefox and Bitwarden will pull from the Have I Been Pwned API to like let people know, hey, your email address turned up in a data breach, things like that. The company has declined all requests for comment. The closest they've come to an acknowledgement was saying that they are investigating. So that's very unfortunate. Klopp Ransomware claims Saks Fifth Avenue, their retailer, says that mock data was stolen. Saks Fifth Avenue is a luxury brand retailer serving the U.S., Canada, and parts of the Middle East. The company claims no real customer data was stolen. I don't know what real customer data means to them, but they have stayed quiet on corporate or employee data. So I'm guessing they did steal real corporate and employee data. Well, they're, um, they're saying it was mock data, like it was testing data, the made-up data that they used just to test the system. That's what okay. they're saying. Okay. We'll see if that's true, because we've seen in the past that they claim it's mock data, and it turns out they did use real, some real <laughs> data sets for mock data as well, so yep. I, I don't put anything past companies when they claim things about data breaches, but Klopp, likewise, has not said what data was taken or how much. Saks Fifth Avenue says the data was mock data used to test customers' orders and whatnot. This is actually another go-anywhere victim. Before I touch on that, uh, this is actually the second, this is the third breach now that Saks Fifth Avenue has had. And regarding the Go Anywhere situation, this is some internal tool that lots of companies are using. We've been covering these now for almost the last month. Every week we're hearing about a major company that uses Go Anywhere, which is pretty much an internal file transfer tool, I believe, right? I think so. That's what a lot of the articles said. Yeah. And so now, like, because of that one tool that companies are using, all these companies are getting hacked. So again, people, you got to minimize what you use, stay up to date. And especially if you're one of these massive companies, you have so much going on, it's probably hard to even manage what's going on internally. But if you're just an individual, you can definitely manage. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of go anywhere stories this week. So our next one comes from the city of Toronto, who has confirmed a data data theft. Klopp has claimed responsibility. The article actually talks about a couple other go anywhere victims. It includes the Virgin Red from the UK which is like Virgin, the Virgin company, like Virgin Mobile, Virgin Airlines. Red is apparently their award rewards program. And the Pension Protection Fund, again, both of those are discussed further in the article. The city of Toronto has confirmed that they were breached, but claims that they have not had time to fully investigate, and therefore they haven't really said how many people were impacted or what data was stolen. And same thing, Go Anywhere, Procter & Gamble confirms the data theft via the Go Anywhere Zero Day. Very few details so far, but they assured people that, again, no customer data or information like social security numbers, ID numbers, and financial details were stolen. But they did not say what was actually taken. So Next, we have a not-go-anywhere leak, and this comes from OpenAI. ChatGPT payment leak was caused by open source bug. So this also ties into the past conversations bug, which I'll talk about in a second. We'll just roll these stories into one. OpenAI says that a Redis client open source library bug was behind Monday's ChatGPT outage and data leak, where users say they saw others' personal information and chat queries. They could also see other information about subscribers, like name, email address, payment address, last four of card number, and expiration date. So a little bit more serious than initially reported. Initially, they just talked about this uh, ability to view past chat information, but now it also includes subscriber data. 
again, of people that were not them. Actually, I'll go ahead and read it. So this comes from the other story, which like I said, I'm just rolling them into one. This is also about ChatGPT. The ChatGPT interface typically features a sidebar that displays past conversations only visible to the users who had them. Several people are reporting that ChatGPT is showing them other people's histories viewable by a total stranger with a different account without doing anything differently. One user reported that they were not able to see the entire chat log, but just the different chat titles, which uh, based on the screenshot they showed were kind of revealing. Like one of them was, um, I think, I don't know if they were all from the same user or like multiple users, but they were like conversations in Chinese stuff about like a history of communism in China or something like that. So probably the same user, but still as of Wednesday, the OpenAI CEO tweeted that this was caused by a bug in open source library and that it was now fixed. And it was, again, it was down on Monday. So yeah, originally they reported that like we're seeing other people's chat history and then it turned out we were also able to see some subscriber information, which is unfortunate, but these are new technologies, new services. These things happen. And I mean, at least they got it fixed quickly. So that's good. And the last data breach of the week, Lockbit Ransomware Gang now claims City of Oakland breach. So earlier this month, Play Ransomware took credit for ransomwareing the City of Oakland, California. Now Lockbit has also claimed credit and claims to be ready to leak the data on April 10th. Lockbit has been known to lie before, and Play has already leaked at least some legit data. So this might just be a publicity stunt that we are partially enabling, but we will see. Okay, with that, we'll move into companies. We're going to start with a big one that some of you have probably already heard about. Linus Tech Tips YouTube channel has been hacked by crypto scammers. So earlier this week, what was that, like Tuesday, I think? Linus Tech Tips YouTube channel got hacked. The banner and name were changed, and a live stream was streamed encouraging viewers to invest in a crypto scam, the kind where, like, you send me Bitcoin and I'll double it and send it back. The live stream was actually, if I understood the article correctly, it was a replay of an online talk that Elon Musk gave. So... And if you want to know more about this, TechLore Talks just put out a video, yes. what, like a day ago? So Yeah, this leak actually happened within the last couple of days. This is super recent from today. Um, yeah, you guys got that video out real fast. Oh, yeah, we have to. There was no Linus Tech Tips SEO on YouTube. <laughs> Anyone types in Linus Tech Tips, their channels are gone and we come up. So That's fair. Um, but um, but yeah, you guys dove into it. <laughs> Damn. Uh, you guys dove into it. I think now Linus Tech Tips is back up and running, and I think they've all they've already done a postmortem, right? Yeah. So what ended up happening? We actually pretty much called it in the Techler talk. So they were fished via some kind of contact email, some malicious PDF or something like that, and then that uh, pretty much stole cookies from their browser, and then they were able to log in via that. And it, it's it's such a textbook YouTube takeover, and it's so embarrassing for. LMG, Linus Media Group, has over 100 employees. And, like, the fact that they don't have preparation for stuff like this, that they casually allow someone to download a PDF onto a device that they also use to log in to their creator studio is mind-boggling to me. It's so clear that they treat securities like like amateurs in that organization, which makes no sense to me, given how massive they are, how this is not the first time they've been hacked, and how... I don't know. It's just mind boggling to me. And I'm not trying to victim blame because this is kind of YouTube's responsibility to make sure creators are safe. But this is this was kind of embarrassing to watch unfold, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, um, in addition to your video and Linus's postmortem, if you also want more information, uh, Jonah wrote a really good blog on Substack about the role that YouTube played. And he did mention, like, here's what Linus could have done better, but also here's Here's all the different points of failure where like, for example, why were they able to change the name and the banner of the channel without a second prompting of the password? Why were they able to 
select all and delete all videos. Like those are the kind of behaviors that should be a red flag that YouTube should prompt you for a second, you know, login or something like that. So, um, yeah, between those three sources, I'm pretty sure you guys can find more information about this than you ever could have wanted to know. (laughs) Yeah. Up next, Windows 11 snipping tool privacy bug exposes cropped image content. Acropolypse we covered last week, and um, this was a pixel-specific bug where you can undo the crop on pixel devices, but now they're coming after Windows 11. Pretty much this affects the official Windows snipping tool, which if you've used Windows, there's like an official snipping tool. Uh, The article contains visual examples of both the images and the metadata that are still stored. Microsoft is aware of the issue and investigating a fix. Our next story also comes from Windows 11, and this concerns the local security authority protection, which is kind of a new thing they just rolled out. I think, if I remember correctly, I didn't put it in the show notes, but I think LSA is a very similar to, like, verified sign. It ensures that only things that are signed as legitimate, which, for the record, there's ways to get around that, but typically only things that are signed as legitimate can be installed at a privileged level. It rolled out recently, and since then, users report seeing a warning that LSA is not enabled, even though it was toggled on. I'm actually a victim of this bug, because like I got the update, and I was like, oh, cool, LSA, yeah, let me go turn that on, and I rebooted my computer like it told me to, and it's still, even now, like right now, I can look at it and see it right there in the corner. LSA is, yeah, local security protection is off, your device may be vulnerable. So Microsoft has confirmed that this is a bug with Windows Defender. At this time, there is no fix. They are looking into it. They are planning to roll out a patch. They just haven't done so yet. And they have confirmed that if you enabled LSA and rebooted at least once, it's on. Even if it says it's not, it is on. And there are additional ways to verify that the article goes into. So if you're like me, go ahead and check that out. Just double check and confirm that, yes, it is on, even though it says it's not. The last company news comes again from Windows. This is the last story. Windows 11 gets phishing protection boost and SHA-3 support. This is a new enabled by default feature, the phishing protection, that warns you not to reuse passwords or store them in plain text or type them into sites smart screen tags as malicious. The password warnings were previously disabled by default, but now will be enabled by default. So that's nice for people who are still doing things like keeping all their passwords in a freaking document or something. And more importantly, now Windows now supports SHA-3 hashing, which is really important for security. So I'm very happy to see that. With that, we'll move into research. And we got a couple of good ones this week. We'll start off with Coinbase wallet red pill flaw allowed attacks to evade detection. Quoting the article, security researchers at Zengo Wallet have discovered that dApps, including Coinbase Wallet, were vulnerable to a new attack that allows smart contracts to hide malicious behavior during transaction simulations. This causes the user to believe a transaction will be safe and allow it to continue, only later learning that the smart contract stole their assets. The vulnerability was disclosed to Coinbase, who has since addressed the reported security problems and awarded Zengo multiple bug bounties for the responsible disclosure. Normally, this is where we say don't use online wallets and you know, store things on a, a cold wallet or a soft software wallet at least. But I don't know if that would have changed anything to be totally honest. So I guess the moral here is just be careful. Always try to be cautious. And uh, remember that especially the deeper you get into crypto, the more you are on the cutting edge of things. And you're probably going to run into a lot of scams and bugs and things like that. And you need to be especially cautious. Up next, inaudible ultrasound attack can stealthily control your phone and smart speaker. So I'm going to do a lot of quoting here. This is a lot of quotes. So American University researchers have developed a novel attack called this near ultrasound inaudible Trojan, or what they call an NUIT, that can launch silent attacks against devices powered by voice assistants like smartphones, smart speakers, and other IOTs. 
The main principle that makes NUIT effective and dangerous is that microphones and smart devices can respond to near ultrasound waves that the human ear cannot, thus performing the attack with minimal risk of exposure while still using conventional speaker technology. So um, in the post on the site, they explained that this can be incorporated into websites, for example, that play media or YouTube videos. So they could load like malicious YouTube videos that would do this, tricking targets into visiting these sites or playing malicious media on trustworthy sites is a pretty simple use case of social engineering. The researchers say that these attacks can be conducted using two different methods. The first is when a device is both the source and the target of the attack. So um, they target someone's MacBook, which triggers the Siri on the MacBook. Oh, they did. They already gave an example that I didn't have to come up with. <laughs> But basically what she said. Yeah, same thing. The other method is when the attack is launched by a device with a speaker to another device with a microphone, um, such as a website to a smart speaker. This can happen even in Zooms during meetings. If someone unmutes themselves, they can embed the attack signal to hack your phone. And I assume also that like um, you can social engineer a friend or a trusted person if they really wanted to do damage. So uh, right now I could be playing some sounds um, for Nate here on Signal as we're doing our video call. Ah, uh, 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 we'll get to that. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll address that. Cool. Keep going. So the researchers tested 17 popular devices that run the voice assistants and found that they're all ownable using any voice, even robot-generated, except for Apple Siri, which requires emulating or stealing the target's voice to accept commands. Hence, if you can authenticate on your smart device using your vocal fingerprint, it is recommended that you activate that additional security method. Chen also advised that users monitor their devices closely for microphone activations, which have dedicated on-screen indicators on iOS and Android devices. Finally, as this where it comes in, using yes. earphones instead of speakers to listen to something or broadcast sound effectively protects against all of these attacks. So, um, I got my earphones keep your in. AirPods in. <laughs> I got my earphones in, man. With that, we will go into the politics section. And we have a lot of stories this week, some good, some not so good. We will start off with some news from Tutanota. It says U.S. federal agencies required to adopt post-quantum security private sector advice to follow. So this appears to be a part of the recently passed national cybersecurity strategy, which was pretty big and comprehensive. So that's why we're still kind of learning things about this at even a few weeks later. Quoting to Denota, it says the new legislation encourages federal government agencies to adopt technology's resistance to quantum decryption attempts. The Office of Management and Budget is required to start implementing NIST-approved cryptographic, al- cryptographic algorithms to protect IT systems in the executive branch by July 5th of this year. Additionally, it is required to submit a report detailing the strategy and necessary funding to transition to quantum-safe systems by December 21st of this year. A third provision of the bill requires the agency to coordinate with international standards organizations for post-quantum security. The cybersecurity strategy also asks the private sector in the U.S. to follow the government's model in preparing its own networks and systems for our post-quantum future, unquote. It goes on to say quantum computing is no longer a distant possibility, but already a reality. And they cite all of these things that I'm about to say for the record. The Riken Research Institute in Japan has announced it will make the country's first domestically built quantum computer available online for several hundred businesses and academic institutions. Excuse me, for several businesses, and they didn't say several hundred, just several. By the end of this month, Riken plans to connect this quantum computer prototype to the world's second fastest supercomputer, Fugaku, by 2025 in order to expand its real-world use cases, including research related to materials and pharmaceuticals. This is not an isolated development, but part of what looks like a quantum computing arms race. According to Japan's Science and Technology Agency, over the past three decades, China has registered the most patents worldwide for quantum computing, approximately 2,700, followed by the U.S. with roughly 2,200 and Japan with 885. It's clear the world is on the verge of a technological revolution with the emergence of quantum computers, which promises unprecedented processing power and the ability to solve complex problems that the classical computers cannot, unquote. 
the rest of the article is honestly basically just a sales pitch for Tutanota and how they've already implemented certain quantum-resistant algorithms and stuff like that. But it's still an interesting read just for all of this background information. Next one's a little spooky. So in the world of Utah in the U.S., which is a state, for those who are outside the U.S., they have passed a law that requires parental permission for teens to use social media. Quote, under the new laws, companies like Meta, Snap, and TikTok would be required to get parents' permission before teens could create accounts on their platforms. The laws also require curfew, parental controls, and age verification features, unquote. And then a new quote. In addition to the parental consent and age verification features, the laws also bar companies from using a design or feature that causes a minor to have an addiction to the company's social media platform. Final unquote. For now, it's not clear how Utah officials intend to enforce the laws or how they will apply to teenagers' existing social media accounts. Both laws are scheduled to take effect next March. So we do have a little more TikTok news. This comes from France, who has banned TikTok from government phones, but also banned Twitter, Instagram, and other apps on government employees' phones. Yes! Yes, I know. I'm so excited. So this is how it should be. So I'm going to quote the article. France has announced Friday it is banning the, quote, recreational use of TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and other apps on government employees' phones because of concerns about insufficient data security measures. The move follows similar restrictions on TikTok in democratic countries, but the French decision also encompassed other platforms widely used by government officials, lawmakers, and even President Macron himself. The French Minister for Transportation and Public Administration said in a statement that recreational apps aren't secure enough to be used in state administrative services and could present a risk for the protection of data. The ban will be monitored by France's cybersecurity agency. The statement did not specify which apps are banned, but noted that the decision came after other governments took measures targeting TikTok... The Minister for Transportation and Public Administration's office said in a message to the Associated Press that the ban will also include Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, gaming apps like Candy Crush, and dating apps. Exceptions will be allowed. If an official wants to use a banned app for professional purposes, like public communication, they can request permission to do so. This is how it should have been. Like, if you want to ban TikTok on government devices, I'm actually totally in favor of that for government devices. But let's not play favorites here. Facebook is bad. Twitter is bad. Google is bad. It's all really bad. So, yeah, if you need it, like if you're, you know, part of the PR department and you need to issue Twitter statements, then okay, obviously you should be approved, maybe even a separate device just for that purpose. But overall, yeah, we should we should not be playing favorites and only banning TikTok. So, yeah, good job, France. You did something right. Next story, Meta, Facebook's manage, Facebook manager was hacked with spyware and wiretapped in Greece. I like refuse to call them Meta. I, I want everyone to still know it's Facebook. A US and Greek national who worked on Meta's security and trust team while based in Greece was placed under a year-long wiretap by the Greek National Intelligence Service and hacked with a powerful cyber espionage tool. The disclosure is the first known case of an American citizen being targeted in an EU country by the advanced snooping technology, and it demonstrates that the illicit use of spyware is spreading beyond the use by authoritarian governments against opposition figures and journalists, and has begun to creep into European democracies, even ensnaring a foreign national working for a major global corporation. The article goes on to discuss Greece's recent series of scandals surrounding spyware, in this case Predator. This is definitely a good read. It's short, and it's good to be aware of it. And if I remember correctly, Greece was the one that was, like, denying that they ever used spyware, despite overwhelming evidence that they were. And then they were saying it was the previous administration that was using it, not them. And there's this whole mess of them pretty much outright denying that they've ever even heard of spyware before. Oh, we never even heard of it before. (laughs) 
Unfortunately, our last political story is more bad news. It says France sets EU precedent with 2024 Olympic surveillance arsenal. The French government wants to experiment with large-scale real-time camera systems supported by an algorithm to spot suspicious behavior, including unsupervised luggage and triggering alarms to warn of crowd movements like stampedes from the mega sporting event next year. In case you guys didn't know, because I just found out, apparently France is hosting the 2024 Olympic Games. So... That's what this is in reference to. The plan has been met with, uh, no longer quoting, the, pan- the plan has been met with a lot of pushback, both by civil rights groups and politicians, so this is not like a bipartisan thing, for fear that it will set a precedent for the future of the Olympic Games and that this kind of surveillance will just become normal at the Olympics from now on, which, to be honest, Olympic surveillance is probably already pretty high, but why make it worse? Now, FOSS, free and open source news. Docker is deleting open source organizations. So Docker is pretty much this way of self-hosting many different programs. So earlier this month, Docker sent an email to any Docker Hub user who has created an organization telling them their account will be deleted, including all images, if they do not upgrade to a paid team plan. As far as we know, this only affects organization accounts that are often used by open source communities. There was no changes to personal accounts. Free personal accounts have a six-month retention period and why this is a problem is because one paid team plans cost $420 per year paid monthly Two, many open source projects have published images to the Docker Hub for years. And also the Linux Experiment, which is a YouTube channel, also notes that if you don't sign back up for a free account, your username might be swiped by a malicious actor who can continue to push out malicious Docker images as you. So definitely kind of a nasty turn of events for Docker. And for the record, remember that, you know, 420 bucks for a year is like not an outrageously high amount, but a lot of these open source projects, especially the smaller ones, are living entirely on donations and may only make at most a couple thousand dollars a year. So, I mean, when a quarter of your income is going towards just publishing something that used to be free, like it's pretty problematic. Hey guys, Nate here from the not-so-distant future with a quick update. When I went to go pull screenshots for this article just now, I noticed there was an update that says that Docker has actually rolled back this decision, presumably due to all the negative press and backlash that this has brought. And they've issued an apology, more so over their communication rather than the actual decision. But either way, they've rolled that decision back. So I think that's good news. So our next article says GNOME 44 is released. GNOME is a a desktop environment, for those who don't know, for Linux. For those who care, GNOME 44 is out. They have introduced a GTK4 port of Epiphany, which is their web browser, a file chooser grid view for apps that use standard GDK file chooser, as well as support for adding a WireGuard VPN directly from the network panel. Yeah, a lot of new fixes. I think, uh, not to harp on him too much, but the Linux experiment, I think he also did just put out a GNOME 44 review this past week showing all the changes and upgrades and everything. So if you want to learn more, I recommend checking that out. And now the misfits. So Afro Man, which is supposedly a hip hop artist, Afro Man was sued by law enforcement officers who raided his home. So in August of 2022, the Adams County, Ohio Sheriff's Office raided the rapper's home with a warrant looking for drugs, drug paraf... I don't even know what that word is. Drug paraphernalia? Paraphernalia? I don't know what that is. Um, Uh, That's like accessories, like bongs, bowls. Oh, got uh, it. Like paper to roll weed, things like that. Got it. And they were also looking for evidence of trafficking and kidnapping. However, no such evidence was ever found for any of these things, and no charges were ever filed. Afro Man took footage of the raid from his home surveillance cameras and used them in subsequent songs about the event. So now the police are claiming that this violates their privacy and that they are 
owed royalties from the work from his entire brand. They also claim that they have suffered emotional damage, like humiliation and ridicule. Our next story is interesting. It says General Byte's Bitcoin ATMs hacked using zero day, $1.5 million stolen. Quoting the article, General Bytes makes Bitcoin ATMs, allowing people to purchase or sell over 40 cryptocurrencies. Customers can deploy their ATMs using standalone management servers or General Bytes cloud service. Over the weekend, the company disclosed that cybercriminals exploited a zero-day vulnerability tracked as BATM-4780 to remotely upload a Java application via ATM's master service interface and run it with BATM user privileges. Attackers could then access the database, read and decrypt API keys used to access funds, send funds from hot wallets, download usernames, password hashes, and turn off 2FA, access event logs where customers scanned private keys, which was stored on older versions of the software, and I think that's about it, but maybe some other stuff. The company took to Twitter to urge customers to take immediate action and install the latest updates to protect their servers and funds from attackers. Furthermore, in response to this, General Bytes is closing down their cloud service. The article notes that they have been breached multiple times in the past, and they have basically decided we can no longer keep this secure, it's not worth even trying, so we're just going to close down our cloud service, but they have offered to assist customers in setting up their own instances. So hopefully that will reduce the attack surface. So a sex worker-led payment platform shuts down after being cut off by processor. So SpankPay, that's the name of the processor, is the payment side of the blockchain Spank Chain. It is a sex worker-led alternative to more mainstream cryptocurrency exchanges. So this is actually a cryptocurrency exchange similar to Coinbase, but it's sex worker-led. So Spank Chain started development around 2017 and Spank Pay launched in 2019. Wire Payments, which is the company's upstream payment processor, terminated Spank Pay's account because Wire's new payment processor, Checkout.com, doesn't allow processing for payments related to sexual businesses. The moral here is to remember that what was legal or okay yesterday may not be tomorrow, especially when you have things like business transfers and new ownership and things like that. So always keep up to date and have contingency plans, especially if you're working with something like this, where we've seen other issues with like um, OnlyFans was actually dealing with a big issue when they were trying to really crack down on, um, I think, Pornhub, Pornhub at one time. And we were seeing lots of things come up with porn industry kind of payment processing and how they had to switch payment processors here and there. So it was it was a total mess. So I think that's actually where this spank pay thing came from is they were trying to be an alternative for sex workers because they couldn't go through certain traditional payment processors. Interesting. For those watching, I got to peace out because I have to be somewhere. But Nate, we'll take good care of all of you. And that actually brings us to our Q&A section. We're almost done here. We only had one question this week. Just for future reference, Henry and I, our Q&A section is getting kind of long. So we're probably going to start limiting it to probably three or four questions. We haven't exactly decided yet. And then we might start answering the rest of them throughout the week as like YouTube shorts or something like that. Let us know if you guys have a problem with that for some reason. But yeah, we're just trying to figure out how we can keep this section a little bit shorter because it's starting to get a little out of hand. But this week we only had one. It comes from Freddie Mercury who says, I have a threat model of being subjected to government surveillance while visiting a country, for example, China. That's a pretty high threat model, number one. The question is, should I carry my own phone, which is a Pixel 6 running a custom OS with multiple user profiles, or should I use a burner phone? Are you aware of any shortcomings with that OS or have any of the custom privacy and security ROMs out there? Would you recommend that OS? So we've been uh, very quiet on this for a while, but I'm going to go ahead and address it. Some of you may have noticed we go out of our way not to name check that particular OS. In fact, you will even see on the screen that they are blacked out. They do not like us. This is not an opinion. This is a fact. They don't like us, mostly Henry. I don't think they have a real issue with me at this time that I'm aware of, but they don't like Henry and therefore they don't like it when we mention them. 
So we go out of our way not to mention them. That's not a, a, a ding on them. That's not any kind of negative statement. That's just a fact. They don't like it when we mention them. So we're trying to keep the peace by not naming them. That said, so first of all, in a perfect world, a burner phone is definitely your best option. It's totally fresh. You don't have to worry about any leftover data on there from an app that you removed or anything like that. A burner phone is definitely the best option if you can afford it. If you cannot afford one, well, even if you can't afford one, I I think another big part is to be aware of your rights. Are you legally allowed to refuse a search, for example? Are you legally allowed to refuse to hand over a password? Be aware of what are the consequences if you exercise those rights. Because, for example, here in America, I think they have 48 hours to charge you with a crime. So legally, I can say I want a lawyer. Legally, they can hold me for 48 hours or 47 hours and 59 minutes, and then just at the last minute be like, all right, we're letting you go. And let's say I showed up the day before a conference. Well, now I've missed my conference, right? I mean, and that's legal. There's nothing I can do about that. Like, sure, I could file a lawsuit afterwards and I may or may not win, but I've still, the damage is done. All that to say, yeah, know your rights, know the consequences of exercising those rights. But yeah, as far as if you can't use a burner phone, honestly, and Henry, he kind of gave me his two cents before he took off. We don't think there's really any clear advantage over anyone else, whether that's custom OS, iPhone, whatever the case may be, because, and here's one reason why it's, it's not because we think any of them are lying or anything like that. There is allegations. I don't know if it's ever been proven. I'm pretty sure it has been proven, but there's a very least strong, credible allegations that it's not uncommon practice for a border agent to copy the contents of your device and then give it back to you. And if that's the case, they have all the time in the world now. They might be aware of zero days that you're not. Again, this is not a ding on anybody. This is just a fact. Companies like Celebrite thrive on zero days. That's literally their entire business model. I've heard multiple stories of people at DEF CON like giving a talk and then being approached by you know, government agents like, hey, if you have any more zero days you haven't disclosed, we'd really like to hear about them. We'll pay pretty well. So they might have zero days that may not be public or known. They might have computers that can go ahead and like try to brute force any pins, passwords, things like that. Try being the keyword there, of course. And if you're using a really good pin or password, there's always the possibility that now, granted, this depends on how valuable you are to this government, obviously, but there's always the possibility they'll just wait until quantum computing becomes better and try it with that. Like that's one of the biggest concerns with quantum computing right now is that it will be able to easily brute force all of our past encrypted messages and crack them. So, and for the record, that's speculation. That's not a guarantee that it'll happen, but It's kind of one of those things where if it becomes cheap enough and feasible enough, why wouldn't they? Not so distant future Nate here with one more quick addition. I forgot to mention Henry's opinions, which Henry wanted to point out that regardless of what OS you use, no matter how advanced it is at this point in time, there's really nothing to protect you from cell phone tracking and things like that, uh, like cell tower location tracking and things of that nature. Again, that's a, a real big thing. If you're If it's a phone that's yours, that's already well tied to you, whether that's through purchasing it on credit or just the fact that you've been using it in your real name for quite some time, and you're going to this country where you're concerned about hostile governments, then that's worth keeping in mind. Uh, It doesn't really matter what OS you're on, or even if you get through the border just fine, they're still going to know it's you, and they're going to be able to track you. So anyways, all that to say, I do think all the common advice still applies. I think you should use strong passwords, maybe disable pins, maybe even disable biometrics, remove whatever you can from the phone so that there's as little as possible on there. Make sure that you're updated, just all those kind of things. As far as picking one particular OS over another, definitely the the stronger, the better. I mean, I would recommend iPhone over Lineage any day because Lineage has several known shortcomings. But other than that, I mean... 
it's only going to do you so much. And obviously that's not a reason not to try, but it's just something to be aware of. Burner phone would definitely be the best option. But short of that, there's so many variables. It's really hard to say if one is obviously better than the other. Instead, I would focus on trying to make sure that there's nothing they can copy from the device. So maybe I don't know a lot about user profiles. I personally wouldn't rely on them. I would just wipe everything you can off the device, maybe even factory reset it, put everything in the cloud and then re-download it when you get there. That's what I would do. Okay, and that's all we had for this week. TikTok was scanning users' ages using uh, biometric data. Again, that hearing is ongoing, so I'm sure we will hear more about it and have more updates for you guys in the future. Linus Tech Tips got hacked. If you're interested, go check out some of the more resources about that and learn how to prevent it from happening to you. Tons of Go Anywhere breaches. I guarantee you we'll have more next week and some Windows 11 news. Pretty busy week. Our promo segment, again, we want to remind you guys, if you sign up on Patreon, you can ask us questions, you can get an ad-free segment, you'll get to hear some more of our thoughts on some of these stories, stuff like that. If you want to support us, but you're not really interested in Patreon, we have LibrePay, and you don't get any rewards from that, but it's a little bit more privacy respecting, and it's still an ongoing recurring way where you don't have to think about it, it's automatic. And of course, if you want maximum privacy, we have Monero, which is an anonymous cryptocurrency, and we don't see anything about you, but we do see those contributions, and we thank you very much. And also, it's been a minute since we mentioned it, so I just want to throw it out there for Monero. Monerotopia is coming up. It's like a month away. It's right around the corner. Super excited. So go ahead and get your 10% off tickets, and we'll see you guys there. Well, I will see you guys there. Thank you for listening to Surveillance Report, and the final thing we want to ask of you, as always, is to share the podcast around. Make sure you are subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform where that is an option. We are trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy, and you can help us do that. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.